Hey, good morning, Grace Hill Church. Uh, my name is Alan McCullough. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church. We're just so glad that you've joined us online this morning. So as you know, we are not meeting in person this Sunday. We're online only, and the reason for that is because our staff, our elders, our pastors, and our community group leaders are all off on a leadership retreat this weekend. We have incredible leaders here at Grace Hill Church, and we take shepherding here at Grace Hill really, really seriously. We see it as our job to care for the people uh, who belong to Grace Hill Church and to care for them spiritually and care for them and their families and to lead our church into being a place uh, that is caring. And so that's why we do these leadership retreats. It's a time for us to get away, to pour into our leaders, to develop them, and also to care for each other so that we can lead well. So just, I love our leaders. Um, if you ever get an opportunity to thank them or to pray for them, please take that opportunity. They work so hard uh, so that we can do the very things that God has called us to do here at Grace Hill. So we'll be back together in person next Sunday at Herndon High School. Uh, so please join us there. Uh, but this morning, what we're going to do, actually, you notice there's probably, uh, you notice there's not any worship music or anything like that this morning because the service that we're going to do online together right now is going to be a little different, okay? So it's going to take about an hour. Um, I'm going to give you some instructions, but I want you to find a really comfortable place to sit. Grab maybe a cup of coffee if you need to hit pause real quick. Get your Bible, get a journal, and we're going to spend some time reflecting on God's Word together. So I'll tell us about that in just a second. Let me get a few announcements out of the way, and then we'll jump into the Word of God. Uh, two quick ones. The, the first one is, if you're new at Grace Hill Church, or if this is your first time tuning in, uh, or maybe you just haven't gotten connected at our church, I really encourage you uh, to do that this week. Go to our website, since we're online only, go to our website, gracehillchurch.com, click the connect with us button and fill that form out and we'll get in touch with you uh, this week. We'd love just to get to know you, get you on our newsletter so that you know what's going on around here, answer any questions that you have. And then we really hope that you will join us uh, next Sunday at Herndon High School uh, in person. Uh, the second thing I want to say is I just want to thank you for your generosity and your giving to our church. Because of that, we're able to do the things that God has called us to do in Herndon. And I want to ask you to continue to give generously and sacrificially to what God is doing here. As you know, we've got two big initiatives going on right now that we're asking God to provide financially for us. And the two things are, one is we are seeking to hire a youth director here at Grace Hill. We see youth ministry as such a massive mission field here in Herndon in Northern Virginia. And we believe we need to start investing in that. And so there are things happening with that right now. We just got a search committee put together to find the right person. And we just need people to continue to give and give generously so that that can be well funded. And the second thing that you know that's going on here is we are preparing ourselves as a church to get our own facility. That's through our Roots campaign. And you have given so generously to that, and there are things happening right now with that. So I ask for your prayers. As things get serious, we will bring that to our congregation, but also just want to ask you to continue to give so that we can get a facility of our own and we can continue to do the things God has called us to do. So thank you for your giving. Please continue to give. Lots of ways to do that. Since we're online only this week, just go to our website, click the Give button on the top of the screen, and you can give online with your credit card or uh, through a bank transfer. Of course, you can come next week, and you can give at our Give Box as well. All right, those are my two announcements. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Part 7, the very last message in our Stories of Belief sermon series. So we've been in this sermon series studying seven different stories about Jesus from the Gospel of John. And each of these stories are unique because John describes them as a sign that Jesus gives. And so as we study these stories, we learn about who Jesus is and why we should believe in him. And so this morning we'll do our final one. We'll be in John chapter 11, the famous story of when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. 
But here's how this morning's gonna be just a little different. So instead of me just standing up here and giving you a long 30 to 40 minute sermon or monologue uh, from John 11, uh, I'm gonna break this up into four short messages out of John 11 where we're gonna look at some text together. I'm gonna do some teaching on it. And then we're going to stop and we're going to reflect. And I'm going to give you a question to be able to reflect on. And that will pop up on your screen and you can press pause if you want. There'll be a little bit of a pause in the video. You can just press pause there if you need longer. And what I encourage you to do is if you're by yourself, grab your journal, write that question down and spend some time reflecting on that. Maybe journaling your answer, praying through it. If you're with people right now from your household, your family, or you're with some friends, I encourage you, if you're comfortable, to press pause and have a discussion together uh, around these questions as well, okay? And so, four different uh, sections to John chapter 11, and we're going to just spend some time reflecting on this as well. So I hope this is just an encouraging time of prayer for you as well. Now, speaking of prayer, I've entitled this message, The Struggle of Prayer, The Struggle of of prayer. I want you to imagine something real quick as we jump into the first part of John chapter 11. And I just want you to imagine that you have something really big that you're praying for. Actually, maybe you don't need to imagine that right now. Maybe you have something right now really big that you're praying for. Maybe it's that you're praying for the healing of someone who's sick or for yourself. Maybe you're praying that God would bring something into your life, like a, a job or a relationship, or that God would heal a relationship in your life. I, I don't know what it is, but just imagine that you have a really big prayer, and it's going to require God to show up, to act in a really big in powerful way. We've all been there before. And when we are in that place, one of the things that's really difficult about it is sometimes there's a voice in the back of our head that wonders if God really hears that prayer. Or if God does hear it, would he really act in a big and miraculous way in my life? We hear stories of that happening to other people. We read stories about it like we are this morning from John 11. But would he actually do that in my life? And that's why I'm calling this the struggle of prayer. Because sometimes prayer can be a struggle. But as we read through John chapter 11, there's four things that I want us to remember when we are praying. Four things that I want us to remember, especially when we are praying for big things and we feel that doubt inside of our soul. So here are the four things. I'm going to give them to you right now, and then we'll tackle each four of these with each of our times in the scripture this morning. So we need to remember when we are praying, when we are in the struggle of prayer, we need to remember the providence of God. We need to remember the promises of God, the presence of God, and the power of God. Okay? Providence, promises, presence, power. And so let's start with the providence of God. Of God. And we're going to be right there in John chapter 11. Let me give you a little bit of a context and then we're going to read a few scriptures. Just so you know, I'm not going to be able to read the entire chapter. We're going to kind of survey most of the chapter this morning. So we're going to read some select verses so that we can see what's going on in this chapter and so that we can learn about what it means uh, to be able to trust the Lord and know who He is in the midst of our struggle in prayer. So John chapter 11, this, and when the chapter begins, Jesus is in Galilee. So kind of the northern part of Israel. And he's with his disciples. And what happens at the beginning of the chapter is he gets word that his friend Lazarus is really sick and is about to die. And of course, Jesus has become really good friends with not only Lazarus, but his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And we read about Mary and Martha in various other scriptures in uh, the Gospel of John and the other Gospels as well. But Jesus gets word of this. And so you would imagine that Jesus, the first thing he would do is, is get up and make his way down to Judea, all right, down near Jerusalem. That's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were living. They didn't make his way down and be there with them or show up. And so I want you to imagine right here, this message getting to Jesus 
is a prayer from Mary and Martha, right? Their brother is sick. He's about to die. And so they are praying and they send word to Jesus whom they believe can heal and, and, and make Lazarus well again. So they are praying and they are hoping that God will show up. But let's see what happens in the text. And so John 11 verse 4, Jesus hears about this illness and immediately, this is what he says to his 12 disciples. He says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. And so immediately, I want you again, imagine your prayer that you have, and we're in the struggle of prayer right now, okay? That as God receives the prayer, in the same way that Jesus received this message from Mary and Martha, he is now saying out loud, I am going to act on behalf of this prayer. And there is so much more that is going to be accomplished in response to this prayer than just the healing of Lazarus. Jesus says it's for the glory of God, that in the providence of God, He has made it so that in this moment, through the illness of Lazarus, that something big is going to happen far beyond the healing of Lazarus. And so this helps us right here just think about why does God do what he does? You know, what's God's motivation as he acts in the world? And one of the things we see in this verse is that God does what he does for his own glory, according to his own will, according to the plans that he has already set forth, that we get the privilege to be a part of. But the problem with that answer and the problem as we think about even in the midst of our own struggle in prayer is that that can feel like that's in contradiction to God's love for us. That if God actually loved us, there would be moments where he'd be willing to suspend his own plan and his own uh, will in order to care for us, to intervene in our lives, to help us in the midst of our struggle and our brokenness. And so what we see here, if you go to verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That Jesus loved them and he did want to act in their best interest. But continue to go in our text of verse 6. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, those two don't compute, right? Wait, you loved them and so you decided to wait to go down to Judea to be with them and to heal Lazarus. How could those two things happen at the same time? And this helps us to understand the providence of God right here. God at one time is doing a million things. And because he is all powerful, he is able to do all of it within his perfect will And all of it is in love of his children. And if you are in Christ, you are one of his children. And everything that he does is for your good and is in love for you. And so the text tells us that Jesus did what he did. He stayed. He did not go down. He did not act immediately. He did not respond to the prayer Uh, immediately that he does that out of love of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He has a reason for it that no, they don't understand in the moment. And we'll see that later in the text, but it's in love of them. We also know that Jesus does this in love of the disciples. If you go to John 11 verses uh, 14 and 15, it says, Jesus is saying to his disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus is doing what he's doing in love of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We don't understand that quite yet. We will later. We know that he's doing it in love of the disciples because he wants to show them something, teach them something in this moment. And so Jesus intentionally lets Lazarus die so that he can accomplish 
these things. We also know that Jesus does this in love of the world. I'm not going to read it for us right now, but if you read the, the, the rest of this short passage at the beginning of John 11, one of the things we see is Jesus says, okay, it's time for us to go to Judea. And his disciples are like, you can't go there. If you go there, they're going to kill you. Because Jesus had started to uh, kind of stir up dissension amongst the Pharisees and the Romans. And they knew that if Jesus went to Judea, it was going to be dangerous. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go. And if you read after John 11, we know that after this episode with Lazarus is when they started that process of trying to arrest Jesus that would ultimately bring him to the cross. Jesus knows that even this episode is wrapped up in God's will when it comes to his plan for Jesus to go to the cross to rescue us from our sins. So this very moment, Jesus waiting to go down to Judea in order to raise Lazarus from the dead is also in love of you and of me. He had us in mind the rest of the world, because this was a part of his redemptive plan. God is doing a million things at one time in love of his children. This is the providence of God. And we, when we are in the midst of the struggle of prayer, we must recall and remember who God is. He is all-powerful. He is doing a million things at one time. He's always acting towards our good. It reminds me of Romans 8.28, that famous encouraging verse where Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That is a promise that Mary and Martha and Lazarus had. That is a promise that the disciples have. And that is a promise that you and I have. God is working a million things. And sometimes when we pray to him, he answers us yes. Sometimes he answers us no. Sometimes he answers us not now. And that's what he did to Mary and Martha. Not right now. Because I'm working out my will. And even though in the moment I don't understand, it is for your good. You know, I've been in ministry now for 15 years and I've had moments in my ministry, I've shared some of this before, that have been really, really hard. Moments where I've prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing. I am doing my best to serve your church. I'm doing my best in order to be faithful to you. And it seems like you don't hear my prayers. And it seems like you are not acting in love of me. But as I have followed Jesus through the years, as I have trusted him, even in the midst of heartache and struggle, I can look back upon my life and I can see Romans 8:28 proven true in my life how God has taken unbelievably hard things but because he is all-knowing and all-powerful and sovereign over all things he's taken those things and he's worked them out for my good and so I just I want to stop right here and I want to give us a few moments to reflect and like I said, you could just be by yourself, you could do this in your journal, or if you're with other people, I encourage you to share it with others. But I want you to ask the question, do you have a Romans 8.28 testimony? Can you look back on your life and see hard moments where you were in the struggle of prayer, and yet you've seen the providence of God work itself out in your life for your good? Because when we're in the struggle of prayer right now, we have to remember who God is. We have to remember that He is sovereign. And we have to remember how we have seen that in our own lives. So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes right now. I encourage you to actually pause the video. I'll pop the question up on the screen. Pause the video. Spend some time journaling. Spend some time praying. Spend some time sharing. Do you have a Romans 8.28 testimony?
All right, we're going to come back to our passage now here in John 11. Um, We're in the struggle of prayer. Remember, I asked you, imagine something big that you are praying for God to do, or maybe you have prayed in the past, and you're in the midst of that struggle. And the first thing that we did is we recalled and remembered the providence of God. And now we're going to talk about the promises of God the promises of God. If we continue in our passage in John 11, Jesus and his disciples make his way down to Judea to a place called Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. This is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are living. And the text tells us that many friends had come to comfort Mary and Martha because Lazarus had died. And it's a really interesting detail in the text because there was someone who was notably missing. Jesus. And just stop there and reflect on that. Maybe you have felt that. That's why I call this the struggle of prayer. Maybe you have felt that, that something was going on in your life and you were praying about it and you had all these other people who were with you, who were talking to you, encouraging you, and you would pray and you just felt like Jesus wasn't there. This is why it's so important that we reflect on the promises of God. Because the promises of God are going to remind us that in God's providence, He's always working things together for our good. Jesus eventually shows up to Mary and Martha's house, and we read in John eleven twenty one, Martha came out to Jesus to meet Him. It says that Mary stayed back in the house. Both of them were upset with Jesus. Martha comes out to meet Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha knew Jesus' power. Martha knew that Jesus had the ability to heal Lazarus. His absence was notable. But Jesus begins to speak with Martha about why he waited. And Jesus begins to teach Martha about why this very moment with Lazarus being dead is a part of his plan of redemption. And so right here, Jesus is not only going to remind Martha of the promises of God, he's going to remind us as well. He's having a discussion with Martha, and Jesus says to Martha in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Like, Martha, I'm here. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I've got something big that I'm going to do, that I'm going to show you, that I'm going to show my disciples, and I'm going to show the whole world through this very moment. And Martha said, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And so Martha is essentially saying, yeah, I I know Lazarus is going to rise again. She's thinking about the future. It was common belief amongst the Pharisees uh, of the Jews that there was a resurrection in the last day for the Jewish people. And so she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know later on Lazarus is going to rise again, but he's dead now. And for right now, I'm feeling the grief. And for right now, I'm feeling the struggle. And for right now, it really hurts Jesus that you would not come. But this was the moment that Jesus was going to do some teaching. He teaches in verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to Martha, But I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do we believe this? This is a teaching moment for Jesus right here, because what Jesus needed to do was teach on a number of different things in one very small comment. The first thing that Jesus was teaching was, hey, when it comes to the resurrection in the last day, yes, that is a thing. There will be a resurrection of God's people in the last day, but that resurrection comes through me. Jesus is saying, I am here to do what needs to be accomplished in order to defeat sin and death so that death would no longer have a hold on God's people and that they would be able to rise again and they will never experience eternal death. Even though we will die in this life, we will experience a resurrection. And Jesus is saying that comes through me. That comes through what I'm about to do on the cross. 
that what I'm going to do is I'm going to come, I'm going to live my life, but I'm going to go to the cross taking the sins of my people with me so that God would forgive all of those sins because they were placed upon me on the cross. But then I'm going to rise again from the dead, defeating death once and for all, accomplishing eternal life for all who would trust in me. Like life, resurrection comes through Jesus. It's not a promise of God to a particular group of people like the Jews. It's not a promise of God to everyone in the world. It is a promise to those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And so Jesus is saying, I am here to give a sign. I am here. Yes, he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead later in the chapter, but this is all pointed at Jesus giving a sign that he is the one who has the power to defeat sin and to defeat death. He is the only way to eternal life. Like you have to understand something that when God breaks into this world miraculously, and he does things like healing and raising people from the dead or, or other supernatural acts, whatever it is. You have to understand that God does that because he's trying to show people that true life is only found in and through Jesus. Here's the thing. Every single one of us who believe in Jesus are going to experience healing and resurrection and reconciliation and we're going to experience wholeness. And we're going to experience all of our hurt and all of our trauma and all of our consternation being healed and resolved in the last day when Christ returns. But we are not promised those things in this life right here and right now. And when God breaks into this life right here and right now with healings and resurrections and different things, it's to provide a sign that would point us to Jesus, that we would believe that he is the resurrection and the life. And when we believe that he is the resurrection and the life, even though we experience hardship here today, we can still have joy in life because of the promises that God has given us. And so we know in the midst of our struggle in prayer that God is sovereign, that in his providence, he's working all things together for the good. And we know his promises that he has defeated sin and death. And there will be a day where all of our tears are wiped away. And for right now, though, in this text, Jesus is saying, I am here. And yes, I let Lazarus die. Because I'm in the midst of putting together the plan of redemption that is going to bring healing and reconciliation to all who would trust in me. And the thing that we need to do while we're in the struggle of prayer is we need to ask ourselves, do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do we believe in these promises that God has given us? Because when we hold on to these promises, we're reminded of his goodness. And when we're reminded of his goodness, then God gets our trust. And even though we might feel like he's silent, even though we might be like Martha and go, Jesus, where were you? All these people showed up. You didn't. The promises of God are going to remind us that it's not as if God is absent, but he is working his plan of redemption for us and for all who would trust in him. And so here's what I want us to do real quick. I want to meditate on verse 25 and 26, those verses we just read. So get your Bible, and here's what I want you to do. Press pause when I'm done. Grab your Bible and read slowly John 11, 25 and 26. And then I want you to take a really deep breath and I want you to sit in some silence. What we're going to do is a common meditation practice that helps us internalize scripture. So we're going to do this three times. So read John 11, 25, 26 aloud. Take a deep breath and sit in two minutes of silence. If you have distractions, if you have doubts, just acknowledge them and take it back to the text. And then I want you to do it again. Read it aloud. Take a deep breath. And then I want you to ask yourself, what image pops into my head 
What do I imagine as I read this text? Then sit there for two minutes. And then do it again one more time. Read it aloud, take a deep breath, sit for two minutes. And I want you to fixate on one word. What's one word in the text that pops out to you? And I want you to fixate on that word for the two minutes. And what this does is this is just a common way that uh, people have been doing through church history for centuries to just internalize God's word because we need to meditate on John 11, 25 and 26 while we are in the midst of the struggle of prayer. Do that right now. We're going to come back to our text again. And so as we've been in the struggle of prayer, we have remembered the providence of God. We have meditated on the promises of God. And both of these things are so important when we're in the struggle of prayer. We've got to remember the kind of God that we are praying to and who he is and what he's about. And it's important because it allows us to understand all that God is doing when he answers our prayers. But it's also important that we understand that when we're in the struggle of prayer, that God is present with us. We're going to talk about the presence of God. I'd be curious, how do you imagine God when you pray to him? What's his face like? Uh, What's his kind of emotional state? Is he detached? Is he annoyed at your presence? Uh, Is he kind of so high and lofty, kind of like a king sitting on a throne and that as you walk in, you know, you're worried that maybe he'll be like off with your head and he's just kind of so different and other and distant from you that when you go to pray, you got to make sure that you get your words exactly right with all the right caveats and motivations in order for him to consider your request. Like what's in your imagination when you pray to God? In our text, uh, we're uh, continuing in John 11. And so Jesus had his encounter with Martha And now Jesus is going to have his encounter with Mary. We'll read here in verse 32. It says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was in Solomon, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't know what Mary's emotional state was here. Was this anger? You know, was she yelling at Jesus in grief and anger? But was this just complete sadness? Did she still have a reverent spirit? It says that he fell at his feet. I don't know what her emotional state was in this moment, but she came out to Jesus and she was hurting. And part of why she was hurting is because Jesus had not showed up. Yes, her brother had died, but he wasn't there. And that hurt Mary. And and so again, let's stop for a second and go and just, I want you to to realize that if, if you feel hurt by God, because he has not shown up in the way that you wanted him to show up. That is a normal reaction. It's what we see Mary do. It's what we see Martha do. God, why didn't you show up? And when we feel that in relationship with God, what's his response to us? Is is he annoyed? Is it like, hey, Didn't you just remember my providence? Didn't you just rehearse my promises? Don't you know that I'm up to stuff? Don't you know I'm doing a million things? Don't you know that I'm all powerful? Like, why would you be upset? Why would you feel grief? Why would you feel frustration with me if you knew that I was a God who was sovereign and I was a God who gave you all of these promises, right? Here is something that we're going to learn from our text right here, real quick, and that's this. That sometimes in our faith, we believe because we have the word of God, 
because God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed his promises. He's revealed who he is. We know that he is sovereign. Because of these things, our faith and our life should be unemotional. Right? Because emotion is reaction to stuff. Right? So when I feel sad, it's because I, 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 something has happened and, and it's really hurtful. Or when I'm angry, maybe it's because I, wanted, I didn't have an expectation be fulfilled. And I think sometimes we can believe that, oh, because we have God's word, we should have zero expectations that are unmet. And therefore, we should live life unemotional because we should just kind of walk according to the truth of God's word. Well, hold on just for a second. Because I think this text is going to challenge that. We already read earlier in John chapter 11 that Jesus said, all of this is happening. I, I am allowing Lazarus to die. I'm going to wait up here in Galilee before I go down to Judea so that Lazarus will die because I'm going to do something that's going to glorify God. I'm going to, I'm going to do something that's going to be a sign that I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus has already made it clear to Martha and he made it clear to his disciples that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus is dead right now and Jesus has already stated, my will, what I'm going to do is I'm about to go raise him. And if that's true, which it is because we just read it, then why do we read what we're about to read in the rest of John 11, verse 33? When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Verse 35, Jesus wept. That makes no sense. That's not logical. I mean, if God's expectation of you and of me was that because we have the word of God, because we have his promises, because we know that he's sovereign, that life would be unemotional. That every time something hard happened, we'd go, well, you know, God's sovereign. And um, listen, I know in the last day he's going to raise us. We're going to be in heaven. So, okay. If, if, if that was his expectation, then why is Jesus weeping in this moment? If Jesus knows 100% that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, which he knows that. He is God. He knows what he's about to do. And he knows what he has the power to do. If Jesus knows that, why would he weep? What I want you to know is that God is very present with you in everything that you feel. When you're in the midst of the struggle of prayer, and yes, we rehearse his promises. We remember his providence. He's also very present with you. He's not annoyed at your hurt. He's not annoyed at your sadness. He's not frustrated by your frustration. He knows that we live in a world that is hard racked with sin, racked with death and sickness and grief. He knows this. And he was deeply moved by all of it as he was present with Mary and Martha and the disciples. What do you imagine God is like when you pray? Because here's what the truth of Scripture does teach us teaches us that he's very present with us and that your emotions are welcome at his throne. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of what Christ has accomplished, at the cross. Because he's washed all of our sins away, he has brought us into his family. We are now reconciled with God because the curtain of the temple has been torn into. We are invited into the presence of God and we are invited to make our request known to God. And he is very present with us like a loving, present father. 
who gets down on his knee, looks straight at you in, his, in your eyes, and wants to know what's going on. And so we need to stop right here. We need to understand that God's presence is with us. And I'm curious for you, how do you imagine God when you pray? This is what I want us to think about, journal about, share about right now. How do you imagine God when you pray? When you pray, do you think you have to uh, 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 surround your request with all kinds of caveats and clarifications? You know, God, we come to you today and I just want to ask that you would do this for me and I only ask it if it's according to your will and I only ask it if it's for your glory and I only ask it in order for this and that and this and that and God, if you don't answer it, then I'm going to be okay and we, we surround our request with all these caveats and clarifications and I get sometimes our motive there is we want to glorify God like Mary falling at Jesus' feet. I get it. It's not always bad. But I also want you to know that God can handle the real you and the real desires and the real prayers right here and right now. God, I need you to show up. How do you imagine God when you pray? I want you to take a few minutes to really answer this question and then we'll wrap up John 11. So in our struggle of prayer, we have remembered the providence of God. We have meditated on the power of God. We've imagined the presence of God as Jesus gives us an example here in John 11. And now we are going to talk about the power of God. That God has the power to answer our prayers in any supernatural way that we could imagine. And we're going to read in John 11 about how God had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he does do it in our text. If we read the text together, John 11 verses 43 to 44, it says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He was in a tomb already buried. And the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus has the power to defeat death. But remember, this was a sign. Jesus was giving a sign here. This is why he raised Lazarus from the dead. He didn't raise Lazarus from the dead because he won the lottery with God and decided to answer Mary and Martha's prayer and, and not a whole bunch of other people's prayer. That wasn't the reason. It's because he was giving a sign that he has the ability to unbind us from death itself and that that is a promise that he gives everyone who believes in and follows Jesus. If you're tuned in with us this morning and you're not sure if you believe in Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus has the power to free you from death. And he has the power to free you from the grip of sin. All you have to do is you have to believe in Jesus, that he came here, he went to the cross so that you could be reconciled to God, that there would no longer be enmity between you and God, but you would be reconciled. You would be welcome into the presence of God and he would begin to move in your life, giving you new life, changing you from the inside out. And that Jesus went to the cross to give that to you and he was raised from the dead, just like he raised Lazarus, to show us that he can defeat death itself, that when at the end of our life, we will spend all of eternity with God in his kingdom. And if you don't trust in Christ right now, I pray that today would be the day that you trust in Christ, that you would pray even right now and say, God, I want my sins forgiven and I want to follow you and I want you to change my life. And I trust in what Christ has done. And if that's you, we want to walk with you in that. And so if you do that, even from your home, even today, go to that connect form on our website, 
fill that out. Let us know because we want to connect with you and we want to walk with you in your journey of following Jesus. But when we are in the struggle of prayer, we have to remember that God has the power to answer that prayer. But ultimately, God has the power and is working His plan to bring redemption and wholeness to all of life. Because this is what God is after. He wants to unbind us from sin and death and brokenness. And that's what Christ has done. But you might be thinking to yourself, Alan, praise God. I love it. Amen. I believe this. I long for the day that Jesus returns and that we will experience this. But why pray? You know, like, okay, we pray for these big things. Hard things are happening in our life. We have these big prayers. We remember the providence of God and we know He's doing a million things and He hears us and He's working all things for the good. Okay, we remember His promises and, and the, His promise to defeat death. We remember His presence and that He's with us in the midst of all of it. And we also remember His power that He can do things. But if He is only going to do things according to His will and if He's only going to do things if it's already in His plan, then why pray? Like, what's the purpose of it? I'm going to give you as honest an answer as I can give you. Because God told us to. God said that when you have things you want, when you have things you need, when you have deep requests, because life is hard, I want you to bring those to me and ask me. And there's a mysteriousness to prayer that we're just not going to understand. God tells us to ask Him what's on our hearts. And in a way that does not impact the providence of God at all, I believe that prayer can move God to action because in God's providence, He made it that prayer would move Him to action. And He has His reasons for moving in the way that He does at His own timing. And we can't control that. But God has told us to pray. Let me give you just five scriptures about this. I mean, there's a lot more in the Bible. If we want to go to Matthew chapter 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. We can keep going. I think the next one's going to be Matthew 21, 22. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Keep going. John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Go to chapter 15, verse 7. If you invite me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You can go to 1 John chapter 5, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. God tells us to come to Him in prayer and to ask, and to make our request known to Him. And we need to do that in a way where we remember His providence. We want to pray according to His will as much as we can. We need to do that. We need to remember His promises, and that, yes, He is going to bring us into His kingdom and answer all of those prayers in time. We need to remember His presence, that He desires us to come as His children to make these requests. These are not annoying to Him. God asks us to pester Him in prayer. It's glorifying to God when we view Him as a Father who desires our presence. And lastly, we need to believe He has the power to do it. And God will answer our prayers in a way that is going to be for our good according to His will at all times. But here's what I know for sure. We must pray. We must be in the struggle of prayer. And so I just want to say, if you're here or you're tuned in online with us, 
this morning and you're in that struggle of prayer and you're wondering, God, how come you answer some and don't answer others? I want you to remember these four things and I want you to persist in prayer. It is a struggle, but endure in the struggle and watch God give you a Romans 8.28 testimony. I can't guarantee you it's going to write out exactly how you would write it out. But in time, you'll be able to look back over the last five years, ten years in your life, and you will see the providence of God. You'll see His power. You'll see His promises. You'll see that He was present with you the whole time. We have to persist in our struggle in prayer. And so, Grace, so I encourage you to struggle with prayer. But remember these four things. And for our final question this morning, what I want you to journal about, what I want you to share with others, what are your requests? Pray. Ask God. Remember who He is. He is working all things for the good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. What are your requests? I'm going to pray right now, and then I'm going to pop this back up on the screen, and I encourage you to spend some some time with the people you're with or by yourself on this question and then we're going to be done for the morning. Let me pray. God, I'm just so grateful for our time together this morning. God, I just pray uh, that as people right now even um, take some time to even pray to you and make their requests known to you. God, I just pray in your very own way, in a supernatural way, that you would make your presence felt. That that your people would feel your delight in their prayers. And God, we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you have given us promises. We thank you for your power. We thank you for these things, God, because we know that you ultimately know what's good in our lives. And God, we thank you that you're working a plan of redemption for all who trust in Christ. And we thank you, God, that there are times you won't give us what we want because you have something better. And so, God, help us to have the discipline as we struggle with prayer to remember your providence, to meditate on your promises, to imagine your presence, and believe in your power. We love you, God. We're thankful for your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.